People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM, and uh, it's that time of the month we we joined in studio by a person whose job is the dream job of most bibliophiles. This Teddy works at Penguin Random House. He gets to see the books months before they come out and uh, read them, make sure that the books that he deals with are bought by the shops, and uh, he's here to share his passion about his titles with us. Welcome back into the studio, Viz. Thank you, Stephen. Yes, it's not a it's not a hard job at all. <laughs> I always look forward to your monthly visits. Thank you. The, Thank you. The books that Viz is going to talk about have all been posted on our Facebook page. So all you have to do is go to Facebook, search for people of the book on 101.9 High FM, and there you'll find pictures of the covers of all of these books. And while he's talking, I'll be adding a few comments underneath the pictures. So this is an opportunity to sit back and listen to some of uh, uh, some uh, brief overviews of some of the best books that are coming out from Penguin Random House. They're available or they'll be out soon. And Viz. Yes. Thanks, Stephen. Um, I've, I've intentionally chosen titles that um, are on the shelf, um, just so people can access them quick and not wait too long. Um, so most of the titles on the list today uh, are already in store. You'll see them when you walk in. And I'm glad that you put the pictures up on Facebook because people can f- visually recognize them now. Um, so that's, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. Um, the first book I'm going to go into is the brand new Slavoj Žižek. I've been told that's how you pronounce it. Uh, it's called Like a Thief in Broad Daylight. And it's a fascinating look at where we are now um, in terms of technology, innovation. And he looks at how big tech has actually changed the landscape of capitalism and, and uh, economies. Um, you know, he sees things in the book like... You know, before it used to be to become a multi multi millionaire, you had to basically create all this massive industry, and you know, uh, you'd have to be a big player in this. Now you could develop an app, and overnight you could become a really wealthy person. So that's changed the game a lot. So he talks about big tech. He talks about things like uh, robotics and AI and how all these things have replaced jobs in a lot of ways. So he looks at uh, how that's actually influenced uh, the way we do things now. So it's a fascinating look. If you like things like, if you like authors rather, um, like um, Nassim Talib and those kinds of guys, you'd love this book. Okay, and that book was Like a Thief in Broad Daylight. Then the next one is Minette Walters. We were just talking about it. It's such a beautiful jacket that they put together for this one. Excuse me. It's a two-parter. The first one was um, The Last Hours. Um, are we finding a lot more authors doing uh, this kind of thing now where they take a book and they instead of doing a trilogy or you know four books, they would do, they're just doing it in two parts. And this is one of those. So if you have read The Last Hours, you will know that Manette Walters was famous for crime fiction mostly. Um, and this is a bit of a departure because this is more historical fiction. So it's set around the 14th century uh, when the Black Plague had entered into Europe and started wiping out the population very drastically. And it is about a... A queen who basically, to protect her people, cordons off her, her entire uh, uh, kingdom, and she gives power to a lot of the serfs and the slaves, previously slaves, um, in her court, and that causes a lot of political problems. So the book has historical fiction elements. It's got 
politics. It's, it's a lot to do with politics, in fact, and it's got a really character-driven, strong, strong uh, plot line as well. So if you have read The Last Hours, you probably already know that this is the second part and the conclusion to this saga. So that's Minette Walters. And then the next one is a non-fiction title. It is the... Um, the memoir of Lisa Brennan Jobs. Um, some people might know her as the, uh, initially, uh, she wasn't really recognized by Steve Jobs as his child, although he did name the first, I think the first Macintosh Lisa, uh, or one of his first creations, but he never recognized this poor girl until much later on in her, in her teens. And this is her memoir. So in the book, when you open it and you, you start reading it, it starts off with the fact that she's just heard that he's passed away and she's in his house and she starts basically taking stuff from the house which she wanted. Um, it, it's, it's really gritty and it's really, um, honest and it's really, really, um, poignant as well. So I think this would be a good one if you, Fascinated with Jobs as most people were Lisa Brennan Jobs is a good character In his life which you want to look at him through so to speak and it's a total different view of yeah. steve jobs this yes. isn't the visionary technology no yeah it's much more personal yeah. <laughs> this the, the, that's the book small fry by lisa brennan jobs she's steve jobs daughter these are the, this is her memoir yes yeah and it's been getting a lot of play online in terms of people are recognizing it as one of the better memoirs to be published in 2018 it's really good this is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We're in conversation with Viz Chitty from Penguin Random House about some of the best reads that you can find on the shelves in bookshops right now. We'll be back with more straight after this break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We are in conversation with a good friend of the show, Viz Chitty from Penguin Random House. He's going through a list of about 14 or 15 books that are all available at the moment. All of them have been posted on our Facebook page. So go to Facebook, search for People of the Book on 101.9 Chai FM. The way we've done it is just there's pictures of the book cover. And while this is talking, I'm adding captions. So if you've missed anything, it's easy to reference, easy to access all the books that we are discussing. The next book that you've got on your list is The Fishy Smiths by Professor Mike Bruton. Um, I actually met Mike Bruton years and years ago when I was working somewhere else, not even in the book trade. Uh, so when I saw this book come up and I knew in South Africa he's one of our leading scientists and he's, he's just one of the biggest guys that we have in that field. Um, so he's a real expert on there. And this book is about the Fishy Smiths. Uh, it's about... This very interesting couple, the first biography on the, on the fishies, on the smiths. And if you know them, they were basically in charge of, um, I mean, they found, they, they were, they were in the discovery of the coelacanth in, in PE years and years ago. And what a big deal that was. So this is a story about their, um, time in the science field leading up to the coelacanth discovery and even afterwards. And, you know, the, Mr. Smith was actually a very eccentric, um, character and he was a very, very difficult character at times. Um, like he would, make r- ridiculous requests and things like that. So it's really interesting people, interesting characters, and it's also around one of the biggest uh, discoveries in our time, and that is the discovery of the coelacanth, uh, which they thought was a fish that was long gone and long extinct. Uh, so it's a really interesting story. Um, and then the next one is The Rise and Fall of the ANC Youth League. This one's not on the shelf as yet. It's coming very soon. Uh, it's by Ribone Tal, um, and it also um, tracks the 
the uh, the basically the start of the ANC Youth League, the time of the ANC Youth League when Mandela and uh, Oliver Tambo and Peter Mukabe were in charge, um, and then right up until the Julius Malema time of the ANC Youth League, and now um, where they are actually at the moment and how they've actually fallen a lot from where they used to be. So it's really uh, honest as well. It's very, it's, you know, it's a, it's a story that people need to know and understand. I don't think a lot of people know much about the Youth League since maybe um, Julius Malema has left it. So this is um, a book on the Youth League and how they started off and what they represented back then and now. Okay. Then the next one is Imagine It Fold by Beth Comstock. I had the pleasure of presenting this book at our yearly conference this year. Uh, Beth Comstock, for people who don't know, is the um, she was the um, vice chair of, or she is the vice chair of General Electric, and she came from NBC. So when General Elect- Electric took over NBC, uh, she was in the publicity department, and they basically took her over to GE, and they created a position for her in marketing. So in 2001, when the planes go into the tower. Um, she was in charge of General Electric's marketing and she thought it would be an opportunity for them to propel the company forward despite being like planes and engines and stuff is what General Electric does. A big part of their business is that. Um, so it's her, it's a business memoir on her time at General Electric and what she did to actually bring the company into the modern era. And I think it's a really, really honest, it's not as, it's not preachy, um, about how she did it. It's really honest and I, I really, really enjoyed this one. And that was uh, Imagine It Forward. <clears throat> the next one is also a, a South African fictional title by Claire Houston. Um, it's got some really good reviews. I went on Goodreads just to see how it was doing. And it's already on a 4.6 rating on Goodreads. And if you're on Goodreads, that's a good rating. That's really good. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I was excited to see that. Um, and the story is about a woman named Hannah Harrison who lives in the Cape. She leaves the Cape and goes to Bloemfontein to open up a little bookstore just to sort of get away. And um, things are going well for a while, and one day she finds this diary um, of, a, of a young woman named Rachel Bardenhorst, and she finds this um, diary in a box of books that basically gets delivered. Oh, it's in the attic of this bookstore. Um, and she goes through this book. It's like a journal. And this poor girl was in a concentration camp, um, and this was like her journal during that time that she was in there. And she starts to get really fascinated with this character of Rachel Bardenhorst. So she starts investigating and asking people in this little town in Bloemfontein um, if they know anything and starts backtracking the story. And she finds the more she gets into the story, the, the less people want her to know about what exactly happened. So I think, yeah, for a local author, it's strong. Um, it's written really, really well. And um, I hope if you like South African fiction, you should give this one a, look, a, a check out as well. Okay. Then the next one is uh, Bank Robber by Alan Hale. Um, I love true crime, and uh, I think everybody has a certain fascination with criminals. Um, so this guy, Alan Hale, was is the only remaining member of the so-called Standard Gang. Uh, when he was 26 years old, uh, he was uh, he he had robbed about five banks, and they threw him into jail for 15 years. Um, and when he was in jail, he was 26. He said, there's no way he's going to spend 15 years in here. This is like the prime of his life. So he hatches this plan to escape from prison. Um, and just as he finalizes this plan, um, 
Andre Stander comes into jail also for bank robbery, and they form this friendship, and they both escape uh, prison together. This is in the 80s. And then when they get out of prison together, they went on this all-out spree of bank robberies, and we all know what that became. Um, so Alan Hale today is a motivational speaker. He's still around. He's been touring the book. So it's a really, really great book in terms of this character and this man and his evolution as a person and from where he was to where he is now. Um, also really gritty honest stuff and the stuff he would talk about and what South Africa was like back then and why they did what they did all those are questions that are answered in this book so the book is called Bank Robber by Alan Hale it's true crime and um, it's a fascinating look at this man's life as well and the next one is Paris Echo by Sebastian Fox. I was very jealous that you said you <laughs> you did uh, interview him. He's a, I mean, he's got what thirty five books out now. He's a steady, steady, steady guy in terms of um, how he works and how uh, consistent he is. And Paris Echo is just a beautiful story about a young woman, a journalist, an American who comes to uh, France and she basically wants to put together this piece on women who've been through the war and during the time of German occupation. At the same time, uh, there's, a, there's a young man by the name of Tariq who comes uh, to France because he... You know, his mother had been his mother had been killed, or she was he he'd lost her a few years earlier, and he's basically come there to find answers to questions that he might have around her death. Um, and as twist as fate would have it, um, these two become friends. And uh, yeah, so it's it's classic Sebastian Falks. It has some great mystery that that unfolds as you go through the book. It's historical and it's really touching as well. He does really well with those sorts of books. And the next one is Paulo Coelho, um, Hippie. Um, we couldn't wait for this one. Also one of those ones that came out on conference and we thought, yes, this is going to be great. It's very autobiographical, uh, so it's very honest to Paolo's life during the uh, age of the hippies, during Woodstock. He was a young, young man. He, he talks about his relationship with a Dutch uh, woman, um, and they basically go on this trip. It's this journey that they go on during um, the hippie area, and basically it's like a coming-of-age story. It's very autobiographical, but it is fiction. And uh, it's, it's fiction, but it fiction, based on his autobiography. Yeah, it's the closest his. to his life, I think, that he's ever put out. Um, and if you, when you read the book, it's elements you find, you might find, oh, this maybe this shouldn't have been there. But it's, I think he just needed to get his story out. And it's, that's why I think it's very personal and it's very um, intimate in that way. So, great and book. You enjoyed it. Lovely. I love, I'm a big fan, so I'm a bit biased to him, but uh, this book really gave me more understanding of him as a writer, and I think that that's the best part about it, yeah. We are in conversation with Viz Chetty, who has the enviable job of working at Penguin Random House. He gets to read the books long before they come out. So he's not really reading books that are only going to be out in 2019. <laughs> big piles that he gets yeah, through. big piles in the house. <laughs> we'll be back with more titles that are available in the shops right now, straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. Hey, back in conversation with Viz Chetty. We've just looked at, whew, that's about 10 books already. <laughs> yeah. We've got six more to go. <laughs> okay. All right. And then the next one is The Overstory by Richard Powers. This was long, uh, long listed and then eventually shortlisted for the Man Booker 2018. Um, I, Really, really enjoyed this book. It's a big book. It's a bit of a tome of a book. So it's, he, it's an 
He talks about trees and it's such a big part of this book. It's the central. When you look at the jacket, you'll understand as well. It's trees are an essential part of our planet and, and it basically uses as a metaphor for the characters that appear in the book. Um, so when you start the book off, each chapter is a different person. So they represent, if you can picture the roots of a tree, they're all separate and they're all basically will slowly intersect into the trunk of the tree and that's where their lives intersect. Um, so it's got different characters. There's a bit, a bit of, ma- um, um, so there's a magical element to it as well. Um, it's beautifully, beautifully written. Um, and the characters is what I really enjoy most about this book. So the way they, the places that they come from, things that they've been through, um, the time that they live in. I know that that's a big part of the book time. Um, so Richard Powell's shortlisted great uh, book, The Overstory, is out now as well. So that's going to be great. And it's got a strong environmental message. Yes, yes. It, this book was everything to do with trees and how they basically are like the backbone of our planet kind of thing. And it, he really portrays that. But at the same time, you've got these really wonderful characters that all interlink and it's a really beautiful book, yeah. Very good. And then Marcus Zusak, uh, The Bridge of Clay. So this was the author of The Book Thief, which has become one of the firm favorites for anybody who's into books, I think, um, for many, many years. Um, and this is about five brothers who basically are, have the task of raising themselves. You know, and they, it's, it's the disappearance of their, of their mother and it's the five brothers, uh, that are, they basically support each other and they grow up together and Clay, who's the youngest, um, his story personally. So it's a real tearjerker, this one. It's really emotional in places. It's funny at the same time because it's a bunch of boys trying to live together and grow up and understand their world around them. It's historical as well. So um, that's a brand new Marcus Zusak and it's called Bridge of Clay. And we've been waiting a long time for a new book mm. bar. We have, yeah, and I don't think he lets us down uh, with this one. It's really a fascinating read. Brilliant. And then another firm literary favorite, Haruki Murakami. We just did um, one with him last year. This is a brand new one, Killing Commandatory, which is a reference to a painting. Um, and it is about a painter who is separates from his wife and he decides he wants to go off into to find himself and to find his inspiration again after this period in his life. So he decides to go into the Japanese uh, wilderness into the forests and live um, in isolation for a while. And when he goes there, he gets this little house and he's trying to find this inspiration again. There's lots of references in this book to like Gatsby. You know, the great Gatsby was such a big, the character of Gatsby was such a big reference to this book and he sort of paid homage to it in a way. And it's beautifully written and it's about this painter and his journey finding that creativity again and finding his place um, in the world again. Uh, Murakami never really, really lets you down. And as, like I was saying earlier on, he, he's a writer that doesn't write for anybody and not even for himself you know he just sits down he writes during the mornings and then he'll do a 10 kilometer run um, in the afternoon and he has a system he just sits down and lets it pour out and then that's what comes whatever comes out comes out and whether you like it or not it's going to be there and that, that's what people love about him um, so that's the brand new one by him Killing uh, Commandatory I think you have that on your to, do, to read list and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it it's going to be great and then um another mainstream one, Leanne Moriarty, I think she's she's arrived from where she used to be to where she's now. Uh we've done really well with her and we're so lucky to have her on our list. Um obviously Big Little Lies was the, the book and the T V series that really took off and brought her into um everybody's sort of vision. I think that uh, she's um 
She's got more coming as well. Nine Perfect Strangers was recently already snatched up by Nicole Kidman's company, who was in Big Little Lies. Nicole Kidman's company's taking this and they've adapted it for a movie and a TV series. What's the basic story? Okay, so the basic story, as it says, nine perfect strangers, they go off to this holiday resort, um, and it's basically like a retreat. It's not even a holiday resort, it's a retreat. So they're all there, and they all have different stories, and some are divorced, and some have come through some traumatic times, and some of them just want to get away. So there's nine really different people go to this resort, and things happen here. A crime happens, and let's just say it doesn't end up with nine people left on this place. Uh, so it's it's got all the elements that she has from previous books, like this mysteries behind each character and what their intentions are, and even this place itself is is is, is a nice setting for this sort of story. So um, they didn't. I don't want to give too much away because it'll kind of ruin the plot line with it, but. Um, you can trust that with her writing, she's going to keep you engaged for that 320 pages or so. So, yeah, it's a big one. It's out in store right now. Um, you can't miss it. It's a beautiful white jacket with that colorful cover. So, yeah, look out for that in stores. Okay. And it, yeah, no, I think the okay. next one's going to be, if, if I can predict, <laughs> the biggest book for the second half of the year. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We couldn't wait uh, for this one. It's The minute we heard that, we got it. And I think they've... Um, when we secured it, it was released worldwide. It was a big publicity thing. Everybody talked about the fact that we had we had the rights for the book, and we cannot wait because she's such a stellar, strong um, individualist. And it's the right time for this book. It's the right time for the character of Michelle Obama to shine through. I think you know, with the whole um, with the movement and um, women's rights coming coming out so much now, I think this is the time. And it's enjoyable, and it talks about this. Wonderful woman who came from basically nothing to become the first lady of the United States. And um, that's why the title will be coming. Um, so I think, yeah, she's fascinating. She's she's everything that people should aspire to be, and, and especially young women. Um, it's inspirational. It's touching. There's really um, lovely, lovely advice that she gives you as well in this book. So, yeah, it's going to be out in November. That's going to be middle of November, if I'm not mistaken, the 11th. Um, so look out for that. You wouldn't miss it. It's going to be all over the shelves. You can't miss it. Cool. And then the next one is Berta Isla by Javier Marias. This is the great, great Spanish writer. He's to Spanish writing what uh, Haruki Murakami is to Japanese writing. And he's so well revered over there. He's done some really great books. Um, when I got this, I got the proof, and um, when I looked at the jacket, I said, I have to read this book. It's such a stunning, moody-looking jacket. It's this woman with the, on the cover with a, with a cigarette, and she's just looking into the camera, but you can't see her face. And I thought, that's just stunning. And, and uh, the book is about a young couple uh, during the war, during the Second World War. Uh, they meet in university. They, everything's going well. They decide to get married, but they're quite young. Um, and at that time, I guess everybody got married quite young. Uh, so they they and as time goes by, this relationship you see this relationship start to slowly disintegrate, and it's mainly because the the husband, the young man in this, he's a brilliant linguist, like he picks up on languages really quickly. So the the, the powers that be decide to recruit him as a spy uh, because he because of his proficiency with languages. So he would go off now for like. They newlyweds and he would just go off for two weeks to a month and come back and he'd be completely different. You know, he just, his character just keeps shifting and it's, it's her that has to deal with all this stuff. So it's a little literary, but it's just a fascinating read and like a 
basically a study into this relationship. Um, yeah, so I loved it. Thought it was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, what are you currently reading? What am I currently reading? Um, I'm reading a few, right? Uh, one of the ones I'm reading is Daisy Jones and the Six. I'm sure you've been that was eyeing it. Was on the it was the, <laughs> it was the favorite to win the Booker. Yeah. <laughs> Daisy, Daisy Jones and the Six. I'm almost done with that one. Um, oh, sorry, sorry. No, that's I'm thinking of a different book. You think you must snap? Yeah, yeah. That, that's coming out next year. Yes. Rock bands. Yes, and, yes, yeah. yes. It's a fictional story about a, a, a wonderful young woman named Daisy Jones, um, who's the daughter of an artist and a model back in the 70s. And she's got two very self-involved parents. And as a result, as a child, she's not really noticed much, you know. Like she would leave the house, go down to the Sunset Strip in L.A. and be gone for days and they wouldn't even notice that she's gone, you know. So she's very... Uh, very neglected child and she becomes this great musician because while she's down on the sunset strip she starts mingling with all the bands that used to perform there she makes friends with them she almost becomes a groupie there and then um she realizes that she has a talent for writing songs and singing she has a great voice and so she becomes an artist and decides to perform at the same time there's another band that starts up called the six and these guys start up from nothing and they eventually merge with daisy to create this band but it's a story about friendship and uh, just music and it's wonderful really good. so that's going to be quite a big title next it's going to be march next year yeah <laughs> uh, you sound like you're reading march titles while i know <laughs> well, that's it i have to because you know when the time comes i need to know what's happening with them <laughs> so right now when this goes home he's preparing for Shows that he's going to come in to talk to us on uh, High FM yeah. March next March year already. Next year, yeah. <laughs> so he's got his homework cut out for him. There we go. We've gone through all your titles. Yep. I've added comment captions on the Facebook page. So Thank if you've you. been listening to the show, or if you're going to book club, or if you've got friends who love books as much as we do, tell them to go to Facebook, search for People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. All the titles that Viz has mentioned are all posted there. Very user-friendly, just a picture of the cover and a small little caption underneath just to help you choose, select the next read that's going to keep you busy turning pages and informed, entertained, and able to just indulge your passion for books. Thank you so much for joining Thank us you. in the studio. Viz. Thank you, guys. Thank you, and I'm really looking forward to the November visit. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> I can't wait as well. <laughs> Cheers. Thank um, you. I'm now going to talk about books that I've read. Uh, the first one is most probably the, 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 the hardest hitting South African crime fiction or set in South African crime fiction that you can get your hands on. The author's Tim Wallachs, Willocks, I mean, Tim Willocks, he's British. He's written a number of historical f- fiction, uh, novels. The Religion, which was set around the 1500s, 12 children of Paris around the same time. And his latest book, Radical Departure from the Rest of His Writing, is set in the modern day and in South Africa between Cape Town and the Northern Cape. It's called Memo from Turner. And the the MD of the publishing company in South Africa, Jonathan, uh, sorry, the MD of um, Penguin Random House, said that this book is an answer to the question of where is the South African Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher is a very, very famous literary character created by Lee Child in a series of over 20-something books. 
Apparently there's a Lee Child book sold every so many seconds somewhere in the world. And the, uh, Jack Reacher is, has already been made into a film character played by Tom Cruise. Now there's talk about either, I don't know if it's Amazon or Netflix making all the Jack Reacher books into movies for, 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 for the, for the, not the, not the small screen anymore, but for the computer screen, for TV. Where is the South African Jack Reacher? Where is our strong man representing the law who's incorruptible, who will go into a small town and take on the establishment in order to fight for justice? Well, we have that character right now. Not created by a South African, created by a British author. Tim Wallachs has, he hasn't come to South Africa to research this book. He's researched South Africa from the UK, and he's written this book, Memo from Turner, which is a very, very strong crime fiction novel. It revolves around Turner, who is a black cop in Cape Town, and he is given, he's, he's called out in the middle of the night in Cape Town to go to a township, Shabine, where there is a dead girl. She's been knocked by a car in a, basically a, a hit and run, left in a rubbish, in a rubbish heap to die from fatal injuries that she, 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 she received when she was hit by a fancy car and she's holding a cell phone in her hand. When Turner gets there, he starts an investigation that leads him to a small little town in the northern Cape. A small town that has been transformed in the last 15 years by an Afrikaner woman who was left a widow when her husband was killed in a, in a house robbery in the northern Cape. She then took great risks and her name's Margot. Margot took great risks and she started prospect, prospecting on the land for minerals and she found manganese, the biggest manganese mine in the whole of South Africa, then is developed in this little northern Cape Town. She becomes so rich that she creates like a garden of Eden paradise, garden and grounds in the middle of the desert. She becomes a multimillionaire and she builds up this town through the mining company. It just so happens that her son was driving the car that knocked this black girl over in, the, in Cape Town. So Turner takes off for the Northern Cape to take on a town who have sworn loyalty to Margot. She's the great benefactor of the town. She has brought this town back from the brink of destruction into what is basically a golden age of economic development and mining. And we have this police procedural, this crime thriller, authentically set in the Northern Cape. And Turner is just like Jack Reacher. He has to take on the firm establishment in order to pursue peace and in order to pursue law and order and justice. Justice for a poor street girl who no one noticed her in her life, but Jack Reacher, sorry, not Jack Reacher, Turner 
wants to give her the justice that was denied her in her life now that she's dead. There are scenes in this book. You often get these crime thrillers or these, I don't know, these, where there's just one scene that takes your breath away. It's like a punch in the stomach. Early on in the year, we interviewed Greg Hurwitz, who's, who's, who's written the Orphan X books, the three books in the Orphan X series. Uh, there's a fourth one coming out early next year. I put my name down for an advanced copy, so we'll be keeping you up to date with Greg Hurwitz's developments as well. And Greg Hurwitz has some of these scenes that where Orphan X, Evan Smoke, has to deal with unbelievable odds against himself. Tim Wallachs has done the same thing with Turner. How do you survive in the desert where there's no water anywhere? It's worth buying the book just for that scene. It's like a punch to the stomach. You can't believe that authors can think of things, but they do. So whether, yeah, whether you, you love the, the, the thrill of the, the, the thriller or you love that survivalist idea of how can a person survive out in the desert 50 kilometers or 30 kilometers from civilization where all you've got is this flat desert salt pan around you in the heat of the day the absolute 45-50 degrees centigrade heat that's just one of the many scenes but it's a brilliant brilliant crime thriller set in South Africa I've put a request through to interview Tim Wallachs, I don't know what's going to happen with that request, but this is a book that should be read, it's not like ach, you know, it's just a, a South, another South African book. It is a great South African book. It's written by a foreigner, but it is set with great authenticity in South Africa. And Tim Wallachs has given us our South African Jack Reacher. So look out for it on the shelves. It's quite a striking cover, and it's really a great read. I'll be back with about four or five more books straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We're talking books. We've just finished talking about a South African crime thriller written by British author Tim Willocks, set in South Africa. It's called Memo from Turner. Fantastic, fantastic read. The next one that I've got was mentioned on the show by Tracy from Jonathan Ball. I've also read it. It's called Strangers with the Same Dream. It's by Alison Pick. Alison Pick was long-listed for the Booker Prize a few years ago for her novel Far To Go. Her new book is set in the 1920s in British Mandate Palestine, centering on a group of young Chalutzim, pioneers who starting a kibbutz. And it's a very intense but a beautifully told story of strangers with the same dream. A group of people who've come from Europe, most of them from Eastern Europe. There's a few from, from this, this twins, brothers from Germany. They're all young, idealistic Zionists, socialists. They arrive in Israel and they are straight away taken to the Jezreel Valley to start a kibbutz. All the different elements that are, were present in the 1920s with these original pioneers have been recreated in the book. The sense of a new beginning, that the Zionist ideal is there to save the Jewish nation. The sense that the old ways that Judaism was expressed 
in the diaspora can be jettisoned and thrown away. We're going to replace religion with Zionism and with socialism. That sense of the Zionist ideal is in the book. The sense that we are taking over the land which hasn't been developed by the Arabs, and we're going to develop the land. We're going to make these malarial marshes flower and blossom and bloom and turn them into bread baskets for the nation, for the Jewish nation. That sense of idealism is there. The sense that everyone must work together and celebrate their successes together. They dance the horror through the nights. There's a fiddler who plays the music and they can spend six hours dancing to celebrate their new beginnings. At the same time, the individual stories of the, the pioneers is very important. The story starts with a death, with a murder. But it's very, very vague. Was it a suicide? Was it a murder? Who was it? But then the entire book is narrated by the soul of the person who was, de- who was killed. She tells the story of this band of strangers with the same dream from three perspectives. She shows you how each of these three characters experienced the same events, but she adds her all-knowing narrator voice to the unspooling story from these three different perspectives. First, we have Ada, who has fled from Russia, where her family were the victims of pogrom her father was killed her mother and her younger sister did survive but she's elected to go to Israel to create a base in Israel so that her mother and her younger sister can come across and her mother gave her the family's candlesticks to take to Israel with her and now when the group of Zionists are trying to throw away religion and create a collective where what you own is not yours. It's owned by the collective. She feels she cannot part with the candlesticks. They mean too much to her from a religious perspective, and they mean too much to her to give away so that the money that will be made through the sale of the candlesticks will go to the collective, to the kibbutz. They mean too much to her. Her family means too much to her. So she has them hidden by an Arab woman. So here we have some resistance to throwing away religion, some resistance to the kibbutz collective and some reaching out to the Arabs and close to where the kibbutz started. Then we have David, who is the leader of this group of, of, of pioneers of Chalutzim. He's in charge of starting the new kibbutz. But David has a past. He came with his wife, Hannah, from a kibbutz by the Kinneret. But he had to Leave. He was forced to to leave that kibbutz, and the Zionist organization decided to give him the task of starting a new kibbutz. What was he fleeing from? What was he leaving behind? What what crimes in his past have made him really basically go into an internal exile? And he has a daughter as well. He, his wife, and his daughter are forced to leave. And then we have his wife, Hannah, Hannah. And we also see the whole story from her perspective. And how 
she as the wife of the leader of the kibbutz, the mother of the only child on the kibbutz, the mother of a child who gets wounded and whose wounds gets infected and who's sitting, lying next to her daughter, trying to turn this infection on her leg, trying to do whatever she can, get whatever medical help they can to save her daughter's leg or then to save her daughter's life. Her husband, David, has strong affections for other women amongst the Zion, amongst these Zionists, uh, pioneers. So all of this goes into a mix. Strangers with the same dream. Uh, the book is a very powerful and an intense telling of a very, very, uh, turbulent time in the, the Zionist project, building of the kibbutzim. Uh, the amount of research that Alison Pick did in order to write this book is quite phenomenal, especially looking at the, the pioneers' choices to have children, when to have children, and how to have children. There's a lot about reproduction and child raising on kibbutzim in this book. So it also adds a very strong feminist uh, slant on the early days of the, the kibbutz, the kibbutz movement in Israel. And then all of this builds up to a great, great crescendo towards the end of the book where all these different threads all join together. So it's a powerful book, Strangers with the Same Dream. It's about a utopian society, the attempts to build a utopian society, the attempts to create something radically new. A strong thought that I kept getting when I read the book just from, you know, Jewish history. In the Second Temple era, you had lots of breakaway groups. One of them was the Dead Sea Scroll sect, the Essenes. And they created their own self-contained societies away from the main cities and the main urban areas. That's why they were living by the Dead Sea. And that's why the scrolls were found. The Dead Sea is very dry, very humid, and there's no humidity. The scrolls were found, their scrolls were found in a cave in Qumran. Uh, and now they are exhibited in the, the Israel Museum in, in Jerusalem. But they created a very weird society. And the same thing over here, the creation of the kibbutz system was the creation of a very, very artificial society where children were separated from their parents and raised by a kibbutz mother, not with their own parents. And this determination to create something new, something radically different from the past, from any other form of Jewish society, has echoes back to, say, the Essenes, the Dead Sea Scrolls sects in ancient times. It's not made in the book, but that's a thought that came into my mind, that as radically new as they were, they were really just continuing a historical offshoot from Jewish society 2,000 years ago. But it's a very powerful book, Strangers with the Same Dream. I think it should be a choice for book clubs. It's got a beautiful cover. You can't miss it. And it's a very strong story set in the early the early years of the of the of the kibbutz of the of the kibbutz movement now for something totally 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 different we're going to england we're going to england for uh the time of with second world war the time of the blitz we're looking at 
Agony Aunt Letters in the Newspapers. We'll look at the book Dear Mrs. Bird by A.J. Pierce straight after this ad break. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. We're looking at a book called Dear Mrs. Bird. It's a debut novel by A.J. Pierce. I love talking about debut novels because generally most Books that are sold are published, written by established authors. We've got to give the debut novelists their chance to shine in the sun as well. London in 1940. Emmeline Lake and her best friend Bunty are trying to stay cheerful despite the Luftwaffe making life thoroughly annoying for everyone. Emmy dreams of becoming a lady war correspondent and seizes her chance when she spots a job advertisement in the newspaper. But after a rather unfortunate misunderstanding, she finds herself typing letters for the formidable Henrietta Bird, the renowned agony aunt of Women's Friend magazine. Mrs. Bird is very clear. Letters containing any form of unpleasantness must be cut up at once. Emmy finds herself dismissing problems from love-lorn, grief-stricken, and morally conflicted readers in favor of those who fear their ankles are unsightly, or have trouble untangling lengths of wool. But soon the thought of desperate women going unanswered becomes too much for Emmy to bear, and she decides the only thing for it is to take matters into her own hands. The book is Dear Mrs. Bird, and in her witty, deceptively simple debut, A.G. Pierce conjures up a world of courage and perseverance, perseverance that seems sadly alien to modern life in the West. Set during the London Blitz of the Second World War, Dear Mrs. Bird explores the never-say-die spirit of a nation dealing with death and destruction on a mass scale. Bucking up, putting the best foot forward, and telling Hitler to bugger off are just some of the ways Pierce's endearing cast shoulder the war effort on the home front. Even the weather helps out as our spirited protagonist, Emmeline Lake, goes about her business under a weak but plucky sun. Emmeline is the kind of protagonist who demands a possessive pronoun, a brave, cheerful woman in her early twenties who cares far more about other people than herself. With a charming and light-hearted tone, she draws us easily into her world of misunderstandings, meddling and madcap situations. Living with her best friend Bunty, Emmeline is ever the optimist. The top story flat they share in a property owned by Bunty's grandmother means a frantic dash to the shelters every time the sirens go, but they are awfully lucky to live there for free. On the career front, Emmeline is equally upbeat despite the rug being pulled from under her. Dreams of being a war reporter are humorously upended when a sought-after journalist position at a national paper turns out to be typing up the problem pages for a tyrannical editor at Woman's Friend. Things in the romance department are no better. Fiancé Edmund sends a telegram from the front to say he's run off with a nurse. At least he's not dead, Emmeline thinks. This is the beginnings of Dear Mrs. Bird. It's one of those books that will just make you smile while you see how you can weather the hardships in life. And that's so every dark cloud, every grey cloud does have a silver lining. We've got time for one more book. So I'm going to look at something that's also absolutely different from anything else that you could have thought. It's called The Psychology of Time Travel. 
time travel. Four female scientists invent a time travel machine in 1967. They are on the cusp of fame, but then one of them suffers a breakdown and puts the whole project in peril. That's the time travel. Then we have the mystery. Ruby knows her granny B was the scientist that went mad, but they never talk about it. Until a message arrives from the near future, forcing B to face her past. And then there's the murder. A few months later, Odette discovers the dead body of an elderly woman in a locked room. Was it murder or suicide? With no one willing to give her any answers, Odette sets out to uncover the truth herself. This is a debut. It's a quirky debut. The author is Kate Mascarenas. She's got a brilliant voice, comes across very strongly on the page. And what the psychology of time travel by Kate Mascarenas really is, is a seductive time travel murder mystery. So it's quirky, it's different. The chewing and throwing across time through the time travel machine really does give the book quite a different feel. And one last book, this is a non-fiction, it's called Viceroys, The Creation of the British. If you've got Viceroys in the title, obviously you're dealing with colonial India, the British Raj. It's written by Christopher Lee, published by Constable, and it's it's, it's an investigation of how the British Raj and the Viceroys, how the, 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 the holding of India actually formed Britain. Between 1858 and 1947, 20 British men ruled millions of some of the most remarkable people of the 19th and 20th century. From the Indian mutiny to the cruel religious partition of India and the newly formed Pakistan, the Viceroy of India had absolute power, more than the monarch who had sent him. Selected from that exclusive class of English, Scottish and Irish breeding, the aristocracy, the viceroys were plumed, they rode elephants and shot tigers. Even their wives stood when they entered the room. Nevertheless, many of them gave everything for India. The book Viceroys is the tale of the British Raj, the last fling of British aristocracy. It is the supreme view of the British in India portraying the sort of people who went out and the sort of people they were on their return. It is also the story of how modern British identity was established, and in part the answer to how it was that such a small offshore European island people believed themselves to have the right to sit at the highest institutional tables and judge what was right and unacceptable in other nations and institutions. So the book is Viceroy's subtitled The Creation of the British by Christopher Lee, who is a British historian, and we're looking at how holding onto India formed Britain. So that's people of the book for this week. Next week, we hope to have an interview with Peter Dirk Ace for the release of his new book, The Echo of a Sound. And uh, until then, good Shabbos and keep reading.